Please listen carefully. Welcome to Unofficial WoHo Radio, a podcast by women's hockey fans for women's hockey fans. I'm Alice, and we're changing things up this episode because we had our first ever guest on the show. This week, we talked with journalist Kirsten Whalen about her growth as a women's hockey writer, the history of the CHL, and so much more. It was absolutely fantastic, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. And we also have some pretty big news because we've just launched our Patreon. Patreon is a website where you can help support independent content creators and get exclusive perks. Some of our rewards for pledging include bonus episodes, bloopers, stickers, and more. So please help support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash radio and checking us out. Thank you. Now, on to the interview. So... Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Kirsten Whalen. Kirsten primarily covers the CUHL, but also other levels of women's hockey at the Victory Press. She's been formally writing about women's hockey at the international, professional, and university levels, as well as a wide variety of other sports for four years, and spent the latter better part of two decades before that screaming sports opinions into the void. Welcome to the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. So, Kirsten, I want to ask... How did you get into covering women's hockey? Oh, that's a great question because it was mostly by accident. (laughs) Um, Essentially, I had been looking at getting involved with the CWHL or with women's hockey in general, which at the time was just the CWHL at the professional level in North America for a little while after I moved to Montreal. And Mm -hmm. just because I was kind of new to the city and busy and had stuff going on, I always kind of wasn't familiar with the area where they were playing at the time or would forget until like midway through the season. And so it was just, I happened upon an ad. I think when I was looking for like a real job that would pay me money that was looking for volunteer writers for, and I figured, Oh, like that's something that maybe I could help with. Like I know how to write. Um, Turns out there's a lot more to it than writing, but I basically (laughs) Got thrown into a room with, uh, I think, Marie-Philippe Poulain, Charlene Levante, Carolyn Willette, and it was like, I had no experience, no training, no anything. They had, I think, a combined 10 Olympic gold medals. So it was all very ridiculous looking back at it. But uh, basically, yeah, I just had been wanting to get involved with the league, happened upon something at the right time, and started writing about it. Wow. Oh, my gosh. How do you think that um, that first piece you wrote turned out? Like, if you read it now, what would your reaction be? Oh, my God. Don't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. It was probably just over the top and not well formatted with any structure, I imagine. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't ever want to listen to the audio from those interviews. I don't think I actually said any words in the first couple because (laughs) (laughs) there's actually a reporter and a camera person from TBL, which is like French Quebec Sportsnet, basically, was there as well. So they were doing the interviews in French and I didn't really know how a scrum worked. I like didn't go to journalism school or anything and I had never been in an interview situation so I was like can, can I speak can I like ask questions will it ruin their video I don't want to ruin their video it's going on tv so everything it's just hilarious in retrospect I think a lot of people in women's hockey kind of learn by doing but I definitely maybe took it the extra step <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow you like really jumped in there huh yep Yep. So I definitely do not want to reread it. I think it probably got lost when they redid the CWHL website, thankfully. So I hopefully will just never have to read it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's funny. Okay. So there used to be another NWHL in the Western Women's Hockey League. Can you talk about what happened to them and like why did the CWHL seem to succeed where they did not? Uh, yeah, so the the original NWHL, which I guess for anyone who's unfamiliar, is completely unrelated to the new one. Uh, you know, a league that had independent ownership, and I think that's the biggest thing. It was a lot of owners who were sinking a lot of money into it, and and weren't making anything in return, obviously. And so the owners decided in 
I guess after the 2006-2007 season to take a hiatus, and it was initially supposed to be a one-year hiatus uh, to sort of figure out how to make the league profitable. So with that situation, it was, you know, kind of how the CWHL emerged was from that and the fact that players were kind of left stranded where there was a group that was trying to work with the owners to make something viable for the very next season. Um, mm-hmm. But then there were the players who were like, you know, I don't know that this NWHL thing is going to be viable for next season. Like, it seems like they really are taking a year off. What are we going to do for ourselves? And then the WWHL, the Western Women's Hockey League, coexisted at that time, but also didn't have anything to do directly with the NWHL, right? So it continued to exist for a Mm -hmm. few years after the CWHL had already sort of taken off and was basically just, you know, the need for a league in Western Canada and also Minnesota. (laughs) And Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I had never even heard of the Western Women's Hockey League before, so my um, mind is already blown by information. Yeah, so they had, like, there was a team in Edmonton, there's a team in Manitoba, I think based in Winnipeg, and then Calgary, also Strathmore, Alberta, which is not too far from Calgary. Um, I think there there was a Vancouver team at one point. Um, but yeah, just kind of a scattering of small teams in the western half of mostly Canada. Okay. Does that still exist anymore, or is it gone now Uh, yeah because I've never heard anything about this before it it doesn't still exist it kind of started to disappear at the point where team Alberta so now the Calgary Inferno joined which was the Edmonton Chimos and the Strathmore Rockies actually merged Mm -hmm. to create that team it wasn't uh the the Calgary WWHL team which is just kind of funny but there was sort of I think Minnesota and Manitoba were just kind of left there and from that it just kind of stopped really being a league because there weren't teams for it to be a league I think was mainly what happened there's a little bit of controversy there initially but I'm not uh really familiar enough to speak to it okay well um since I'm kind of a newer women's hockey fan like only for the past like two or three years now um, I don't really know a whole lot about how like the NWHL formed and the CWHL formed. So could you tell me about how the CWHL kind of rose from uh, those other leagues taking a year off? Yeah, so um, most of what I know about this, I know because in the early days of the CWHL, they were really good at documenting everything in great depth on their very 2007 website. (laughs) So um, I actually like copy pasted a bunch of this when it happened into a Google Doc, which way to go past me, did a smart yeah. thing. Because they actually posted in full like the letter that Sammy Joe Small sent to a bunch of players. Oh wow. Essentially taking it from this uh was just that when the NWHL took this initially one year hiatus, you have all these players who are saying, you know, what what are we gonna do? We still need to play. And so it was the end of May when things actually really just started to set up a league for the very next season. And a bunch of players set up a meeting and then each team was like supposed to send a couple of reps, but also, you know, they could send as many players as they wanted, but a couple of players to speak on behalf of each team. And from that, you had a leadership group that came out of it and just started working over that summer to put something in place for the very next season. It was definitely, you know, it was entirely player-driven. And then if I can read to you directly from what the CWHL had on its site, because, you know, this is obviously one way of framing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Please do. And I I wasn't around at the time, so I can't claim any specific knowledge on my own part. But um, basically, you know, there were all these questions about how do we finance this, you know, how on earth do we create a league in the span of a couple months? And Mandy Cronin, who at the time was a goaltender with the Brampton Thunder and also uh, had been or maybe was at the time on the U.S. national team as well, or in the program at least, was playing in a charity ball hockey tournament and led her team to the championship because being a 
professional athlete and national team player. She is unsurprisingly good at hockey. (laughs) Um, And basically, the story goes that uh, she was put on this team with like this equity group or like, honestly, hedge fund. Uh, So a bunch of rich people, uh, which is convenient, and through the course (laughs) of this tournament, managed to tell them how much they really needed money. Uh, which basically got them, I think, enough to get off the ground um, and sort of gave them, you know, office space to work from and, you know, enough money to buy the ice time and buy, you know, rent buses and do what they needed to do to actually be able to have a league in that first year. So that's that's essentially sort of how they managed to create a league from nothing in the span of a few months. Wow. That's really impressive. I remember hearing something about the players having to pay like a thousand dollars just to play in the league. Yeah, definitely early on players were still paying to play. Even I'm trying to remember when it would have been, but you know, even after they stopped having to maybe directly pay to play, there was still the aspect of players being responsible for fundraising because it was the the players who were raising the money to give a stipend to their coaching and their GM staff. Uh, mm-hmm. which was a really minimal stipend. And that was only possible because of fundraising. Uh, so even as recently as five years ago, you know, there wasn't really a substantial budget for the league. A lot of the budget was still coming from player having to to put in work. Huh. It's grown a lot in the recent years then. They've moved pretty quickly, it seems. Yeah, I would say so. So can you talk about kind of the benefits and the downfalls of like the the CWHL's and the NWHL's approaches to growth. It seems like the CWHL is more on that slower trajectory and the NWHL seems to want to get, you know, get kind of big quick, if that makes sense. Yeah. um, I mean, I think a lot of it is both based on sort of the, the ways and also the historical moments in which they were founded. So I think, you know, sort of explaining how the CWHL was founded, it really was initially supposed to be a stopgap measure for one year. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't build this with the idea that this is going to be our league. This is going to be the professional women's hockey league that we're going to have for the next, you know, dozen years or more. Mm -hmm. So it comes out of a place where I think it didn't have that structure to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that makes it more difficult to aspire to growth. And then obviously came in at a different point in the world in general, happening uh, so much earlier on. Whereas yeah. the NWHL came in at a moment where it was, look what just happened in Sochi. Look, there is this market. But I think a lot of it is also cultural, where there's things you can take advantage of in the U.S. that don't necessarily exist in the same way in Canada. So whether that be, you know, the way that, They've mobilized social and mainstream media, especially around the time of the launch. And the Mm -hmm. way that they've relied on venture capitalism is something that I don't necessarily think could be easily replicated in Canada. So I think that plays a role as well. So I think like the growth is something that's also been changing within the CWHL as they start to focus more on, you know, being a league that is here right now and is something that's become long-term and needs to focus on being something that's long-term because Mm -hmm. a lot of it was, you know, like you mentioned, players were still paying up until recently. It wasn't fully professionalized in that sense. And so it's only just getting to a place where I think that is a reality. And so I don't know how much of that is a focus so much as just a product of circumstance where they're having to now change the focus and actually try this in a way that they couldn't before. Whereas the mm-hmm. NWHL came in with, you know, we're in a moment where we're going to be a business, we're venture capitalism, we're doing this right now, and this is what we're doing it for. I've been thinking about the differences between Canada and the U.S. That's really interesting. And do you think that those differences have anything to do with how the Blades have been, you know, not necessarily been treated, because that's, that's not the right way to word it, but how they have been functioning in comparison to the rest of the CWHL, including their recent move out of Boston to Worcester, 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 there. I 
rode, I went to the draft with people who live in Massachusetts and spent the entire car ride just being like, Worcester? 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 Uh, And what I gained from that is that apparently it's Worcester. Okay. Unless you're from Massachusetts and then you drop both R's. But if you're not from Massachusetts, you cannot drop both R's. You only drop the first R. That's important. I got to write this down. I'm going to (laughs) forget. But yeah, the the blades and the and their expan the CHL's expansion into the states seeming to stop there, well, expansion as a whole. And do you think the uh, the like different countries how they function is a factor? Um, I don't know that. You know, certainly initially, I don't know that it was a big cultural thing necessarily. I think obviously there are some barriers that exists just because of the CWHL being a Canadian nonprofit um, and just sort of, you know, the border does have an impact on the way that things operate on some level. But I think a lot of it is also the fact that even though it's a centralized league in terms of a centralized pot of money, centralized funding and whatnot, uh, Mm -hmm. centralized, you know, not having individual owners, it's still a league that's very decentralized in the way that teams are operated. A lot is really left up to the general managers and up to the volunteers and staff in each city. And I think, you know, the Blades never really had the same resources as some of the Canadian uh, teams that maybe had built that up a little longer over a longer period of time um, and maybe were better managed in some ways. And I don't think that necessarily existed in all of the Canadian cities either. But, you know, my understanding is that maybe the Blades early on weren't managed as well as they could have been and that that created a situation or maybe exasperated a situation where they were already a new team they're in a different country there are some barriers that exist because of a border and that makes it difficult I think to even just sort of get to a base level you know obviously anything recent is severely impacted by what happened when the NWHL was created and so many of the players left and it's almost like they've been restarting from zero every time yeah I don't know how much of that is cultural necessarily. I think when the NWHL was able to come in at a moment and sort of fill a role or fill a market or marketing Mm. uh, aspect that the CWHL hadn't been, and I don't think the CWHL had really been doing it anywhere really at that point, you know, that took advantage of maybe a cultural thing that existed that the CWHL maybe didn't realize existed Mm. from a central thing or that the, you know, local... GMs weren't taking advantage of at that time before the the NWHL was created, but I don't know that necessarily anything, you know, difference in resources made a difference in that sense. I've been thinking about the CHL's marketing, and uh, do you think the fact that it's player-focused and was player-created, it seems, hasn't had an effect on how they marketed themselves how they um, attempted to expand their audience, expand their audience, or didn't? Um, I mean, I think it has had an effect just in terms of resources and in terms of having people to do the marketing, people who are able to be compensated for doing the work of marketing. In that sense, just uh, a lack of resources. I don't know that it necessarily the fact that its players has changed the approach because every time I speak to players in the states, back to when I first started talking to players, you pretty much hear the same message from everyone. And I think of that very first day when I, you know, little baby me with no experience was thrown into a room with <laughs> Charlene Labonte. And she, you know, said at that very game, it was right after they had been rebranded uh, Les Canadiens from the Montreal Stars. And she was like, you know, it's cool that everyone's here right now and that there's so much hype, but we hope that it's not just a one day thing, that we have a huge crowd all of the time. And we hope that they get to know us, but not just on the ice. We want to get to know fans off the ice, too. We want them to know us as people and to recognize us as human beings, uh, because that's how people get invested. Mm -hmm. And then I look back to a couple months ago at the CWHL draft this year, talking to Jaina Hufford as commissioner, and she said a very similar thing, right? That she wants the marketing focus for the league to be on players and on getting audiences to become invested in individual players, because that creates a connection. And once you have that connection, people are invested in the player, in their team, in the sport as a whole, and in the league. So, 
you know, that's the same message that I've heard from every single person I've spoken to. And I don't think that that's necessarily what's always gotten across. So I don't know that it being a player run league has really influenced the way that it's marketed, because I don't think that the way that it's always been marketed has always reflected the same thing that the players have seemed to always been saying. In talking about the, the differences of the NWHL and CWHL, uh, I think we all know that like one of the big things that everyone's talking about women's hockey is when slash if there's going to be a merger. What do you think some of the big like main barriers are in preventing a merge? I mean, obviously everyone points to the nonprofit and for-profit status. I don't think it's a barrier necessarily in the way that some people think it is. I don't think it necessarily reflects a fundamental philosophical difference. I think a nonprofit <laughs> yeah. status really just made more sense for the CWHL at the time that it existed. And in a lot of ways may still make more sense for the CWHL today. Um, and I think for profit, obviously, you know, there is a phil philosophy behind that for the NWHL, but I don't think that it's, you know, the format is inherently philosophically different. What the structures do mean is that technically a merger in like the legal sense is actually fully impossible because mm -hmm. a nonprofit cannot be merged with a for-profit. Um, so in that sense, if you were, you'd have to start with a brand new league, essentially. And it would, in practice, you know, you would be able to build on the foundations of what already exists uh, from the NWHL and from the CWHL. But if you're going to start with a new uh, system where one isn't fully subsumed by the other, then it would have to be a brand new uh, structure altogether. And so, you know, that's obviously something where you've got to think of a brand new branding. Um, you know, how are you going to do this where nothing is getting overwritten, is nothing is getting subsumed by the other, because obviously nobody uh, is going to want that to happen. Uh, the other thing is, you know, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's inherently related to the structure, but it is maybe evidenced by it is the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people have said pretty prominently that Danny Ryland is interested in treating this as a for-profit and she intends to profit from her business. And, you know, that is fine in its sense, but you're not going to be able to have a merger if she's wanting to sell off, sell off her league, right? That's just not conducive to working together if she's going to be looking for a profit on this one particular entity because if you're having to make a brand new entity in order to have a joint league then there is no more NWHL as it stands she can't profit off of that um, and so if that's something that she's really clinging to then that I think is a barrier I don't know that she's necessarily you know clinging to that you know I'm, I'm not saying that she's like the barrier but if it is the case that she does want to profit from this in a specific way, if the only way to merge is either to have the CWHL completely subsumed by the NWHL, uh, which I think would probably be bad for the Canadian teams in a lot of just business senses and like practical and cultural senses, um, and also just, you know, is kind of erasing 12 years of work from the people who put into that, you don't want one subsumed by the other. Or then the option of building something new where you lose sort of anything business related that you're trying to build on that end. So it's kind of getting past, you know, at what point are we at a place where that will actually be more beneficial? Because you can talk about one league all day and how much better it will be for the game. And obviously the players all want to be able to play against each other in one league in the locations where they want to be. But is that going to make the league more marketable? Is it really going to make the NHL invest a lot of money? Um, you know, what would actually come of it and is it worth it uh, for the people involved? So I think it's a lot of those questions where it really is question marks because it's relying on this idea that one league will be more profitable, but there's not really anything concrete to rely upon to know that actually that would be the case. Yeah. Wow. I really appreciate that answer because it, it definitely answers questions that a lot of people have about just why don't they just merge is what everyone's saying. And mm -hmm. so that's very clear that you can't just do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like people use the structure to say, I think, you know, that they're fundamentally opposed, but it's just the, the structure prevents there from being a merger in the merger sense. Mm -hmm. 
So I know that you've no doubt seen a lot of change throughout your time covering women's hockey. What was the most surprising that you've seen? Oh, that's a good question. I think the growth in the past couple of years has been really interesting because I feel like a lot of individual markets have seen a lot of growth. But at the same time, it's almost like every step is coming with a little bit of regression. And that's something I didn't expect where you're seeing, you know, a lot of attention and you're seeing, you know, maybe more attention in some senses. But then at the same time, I know in Montreal, we used to get a lot more mainstream coverage at actual games. And now you're getting a lot of mainstream, you know, written press where they're covering it from afar, but they're not actually on site. Oh. And so it's little things like that where it's almost as it gets more professionalized in terms of, you know, now you're getting a press release put out every game, but are they just using the press release to say they're covering it and then not showing up? So it's little things like that, but it's also, yeah, I don't know what I would necessarily call surprising because a lot of it does almost feel like a natural progression, even though nothing is natural. There's so much work that goes in behind the scenes. (laughs) Right. Uh, But I guess you sort of see how I think maybe the way that uh, general managers, obviously, like, you know, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes. But the year, I guess, last year when they started paying GMs full time, I think Mm -hmm. there was an immediate difference that you could notice throughout the league in terms of just what was able to be done, because all of a sudden you've got GMs who can actually devote a lot more time to what they're doing throughout the league. And that's something Mm -hmm. where... It makes a lot of sense. It's very logical. You kind of knew it in your head, but, you know, everyone's kind of been citing Markham lately as the key example of that because it was the relocation, yes, but it was also the GM gets paid for, you know, it's still a pretty modest wage for a full-time job, but it is, you know, a little bit more sustainable and suddenly they're able to, you know, get sponsorship deals that they didn't have before, have partnerships, actually, you know, go out and do events and do things that, you know, people just straight up didn't have time to organize before. And it has a really direct effect um, Mm -hmm. on the quality, you know, even if you don't necessarily see more media coverage, even if you don't necessarily see huge numbers of, of more fans in certain places. I think, you know, if you look at the player experience, that's something that seems to have improved a lot over the past few years. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think about the difference in like, quality of game we'd see if the players were paid like a full-time living wage do you ever sit and think about that I mean I remember just a moment last year where you sort of I I sort of like was sitting there looking and mostly this was just a moment of realizing how good Matthew Philippe is at hockey (laughs) Um, but you're sitting there looking and you're like oh my god like these are all really good players but you just see what the league was like without Olympians. And it wasn't just because they're without Olympians, but it's because you're without those players who are training full-time because you see so many others who have been in the national program or were playing, you know, very well at the U22 or the U18 level, Mm -hmm. uh, again, in the national program. And then I think you see it a lot where you'll see a player who's having a very strong CWHL career and you can pinpoint the moment where they got a full-time job and where Mm -hmm. their focus changed. And so, yeah, there's definitely this realization that, you know, if this person could actually, you know, get ice time that isn't at nine o'clock at night um, and didn't have to commute three hours each way to practice mm-hmm. and wasn't trying to squeeze in a workout at lunch hour, could they actually have progressed from the point where they were at age 23 instead of just sort of maintaining or what have you? So, yeah, it's weird to think about. Because you just have no idea. And you look at players like, you know, everybody likes to talk about Anne-Sophie Betty, and she's someone who really hasn't lost a step. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, could she be even better? How much better could she be? And you just, you know, we'll never know. How much better could she be and still be snubbed by Hockey Canada everywhere? Oh, man. Okay. Hey, um, so how does the CWHL draft work? Because I mostly follow the NWHL. And I, yeah, I just have that question. Okay, yeah, so the CWHL draft is one where all of the prospects have to register online. Um, So everyone who's in the pool 
is has already you know stated their intention essentially to play in the league when they do that they get to choose up to three locations where they are willing to play so you can choose just one if you want you could choose up to three and if you choose gta which is the greater toronto area then that counts as two okay so basically players um, might already know where they're going, although they don't necessarily. Some players are actually going to choose multiple locations and be surprised on draft day. <laughs> um, you know, others can announce in June, hey, I'm going to Montreal because that's the only one they put down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the draft itself is a mix of very predictable and also surprises because you don't necessarily know who's put down what locations or who might have put down multiple locations. There's always a few that um, you know, our surprises. So even though it isn't fully, you know, an actual draft, so to speak, if you're thinking about the way that a lot of other leagues do it, there is an actual draft aspect to it. Um, it basically mm-hmm. depends player to player. And mm-hmm. then anyone who's drafted uh, has to be invited to training camp. You know, sometimes I know for like international players who realistically just don't have a shot at a roster spot, then GMs might like tell them in advance, you know, like you're obviously welcome to come, but you know, we've seen your video. Probably mm-hmm. you won't make this team. Maybe you don't want to spend $10,000 coming to the other side of the world, but everyone's invited to training camp. And that's basically what being drafted earns you is the chance to try out for the team. Okay. And then they've got the pre-signing thing that they did this year, which was essentially just taking the top, two round picks and being able to, or like the top two rounds, which could be more than two, and essentially just gave them the right to announce it in advance, which didn't necessarily fully happen this year because a lot of them were announced kind of late. But uh, in theory, I think that was meant to be mostly for marketing. Who knows? Yeah. And didn't, was it the Furies? They like spelled someone's name wrong on the graphic where they had announced it? Yeah, I actually spoke to Sammy Jo Small at the draft, and she made it very clear that the league had produced the graphic that oh. spelled Brittany Howard's <laughs> name as Brittany. Mm. Oh, dear. Yeah, oh, and then... Oh, dear. Sammy like, Jo... Yeah, <laughs> she... Uh, it's funny, because media weren't in the actual draft room, so we had actually missed that this had even happened, but I guess she went up there to announce the pre-signing, and, like hesitated or paused or kind of forgot Brittany Howard's name and so unprompted she was telling us the story of how this actually came about which was that she was looking at the lead graphic that said Brittany and she knew that she didn't want to say Brittany out loud and then forgot that it was actually Brittany (laughs) it's definitely not this um I love that she just openly roasted the league in front of a room full of people <laughs> for not knowing how to spell a player's name. An icon. I mean, it was just four of us. <laughs> I think they also streamed it, though, so... Did they That's stream true. it? I'm pretty sure they did. I remember watching it. But the, Yeah, like, they streamed like, the draft, but she, she told us the story afterwards. Oh, she didn't oh, okay. get up on stage and roast the league, unfortunately. Wow. That's oh. too bad. I would have loved that. <laughs> But now you know. Now I know. Yeah. Uh, Sportsnet's been streaming, well, sorry, televising CDHL games in the past few years. Like, where do you see sort of broadcasting of the CWHL going? Like, where did it start? How is it progressing? What do you hope will will happen? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I think early on, uh, TSN used to air the Clarkson Cup. Uh, it would go on the TSN main network and tended to be on tape delay. Oh. Uh, I've heard stories of players, you know, winning the Clarkson Cup, taking the bus back, like stopping just at a, a road stop on the way back to their hometown and seeing their game on TV on tape delay. Like, look, I won that. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's but um, yeah, it used to be on, on TSN. And then the Sportsnet deal began four years ago, I guess. It was a four-year deal. Uh, fun fact, the league actually pays to have that deal. Huh. Not, <sighs> not great, in my personal opinion. I think they could do better. Viewership is decent. So, you know, I would think that Sportsnet is capable of making a profit on 
the CWHL, and so the CWHL shouldn't have to pay. But that's what it is right now. And it is a contract for four games a year. So that's kind of the contract that they're in. I was under the impression that it expired last year, but maybe it expires at the end of this year because it's clearly the same thing in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's it's definitely, you know, that deal did expand the audience a lot because obviously getting four games is a lot better than getting one game on tape delay. Oh, yeah. But uh, then you kind of look at the streaming that it goes with, and that's kind of been one of the surprising regressions, I think, where they were, I think, streaming pretty much half of the season in 2016 to 17, and then last year it went down a bit, uh, and this year it went down a lot. Yeah, I think it it used to be that the CHL streamed like their Saturday game on their website, and then Sportsnet did the Sunday game or something. Like every week. Oh, Sportsnet definitely wasn't doing anything every week. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Would be nice, but definitely not. I remember um, they used to have it like a paid subscription. Like yeah. You pay like twenty dollars, you could watch the season. Then you pay like another fifteen or something. I don't know the exact amount. You could watch the playoffs. And then I think around the same time the NWHL was created, so like 2015, 2016, I can't remember the exact year. They uh, switched to like free, except then they didn't stream as much. It was paid in 2015-16, so I guess the first year of the NWHL, the CWHL still had $20 paid streaming. And that year, I think it was close to half of the games, maybe. It was a decent amount of games were streamed. And I think the next year, there was still a decent amount of games streamed when they switched to free. And then it's kind of been going down, which is interesting and frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool to see teams actually, you know, prioritizing that and recognizing that the visibility is important. I think it's something that a lot of GMs, uh, and kind of goes back to the fact that GMs are actually a full-time role now because they're able to sort of realize, okay, no, we want to market our players in our league in this way. So we're going to focus on making sure that streaming is possible. I think it would be nice if even though these independent team streams aren't uh, you know, league streams, it would be nice if they got promoted a little more and were like linked to in a centralized place because it can be difficult, you know, if you're not in the world of women's hockey to find them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, uh, I think two teams did that, but I remember Markham set up a stream and like I could tell it was just them doing it. Like it wasn't like an, like a, super high tech thing because it was literally just like one camera moving back and forth like no commentary no graphics but it was still better than nothing and like i know it was run by them because their twitter account tweeted a poll asking if they wanted if they people want to start the stream before or after warm-ups but they still did it and even just someone holding like a camera and turning it back and forth and that's it is better than just seeing the tweets about what's going on definitely yeah and it's the type of thing where It's tricky because you look at the views on a lot of these, especially the independent YouTube streams, and it's not that many. And the people who are watching value it a lot. But, you know, part of it is because they're not widely marketed. There isn't, you know, you don't necessarily know in advance that there's going to be a stream when it is an independent team, thing like that. Um, Reminds me of the U18 Women's Worlds and... There was a frustrating uh, lack of stream for the first period of the first game, which was the Canada versus Sweden game. But once it was up and running, uh, people in the chat were talking about the um, the game, and then they ended up talking about the NWHL and CHL. And there were tons of people being like, "I didn't even know they existed. I'm gonna go check them out afterwards." And even just like things like that are better than you know nothing. Um. So kind of jumping off the the growth that you want to see in the in the broadcast area of women's hockey, what um what do you hope to see for women's hockey like five years down the line? Like where do you, what direction do you hope that um the leagues go in? Um, I mean, obviously the the obvious answer is that the players are are paid a full time livable wage so that they can focus on the sport full-time is that a five-year goal I'd love it to be I don't know that it necessarily is yeah um 
but you know, I'd like to see home ranks that are larger than most of the main ones are now, although some, I guess Calgary already has a pretty large one, but larger than they are now, but a sustainable sort of size where you can fill the rink on a regular basis, sort of a a rink that allows for more fans and and a cool atmosphere and nice facilities for the athletes with, you know, a home locker room where they can keep their stuff, just really basic things like that, I think are really big improvements that we've seen over the past couple of years. And I'd like to see it continue in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mainstream media actually covering the games in person regularly with video, with post-game interviews, with broadcasts uh, in French and English and you know, Mandarin, if KRS is still a thing in five years. <laughs> um, yeah, TV broadcasts for sure. And just like a league where I think, you know, this is something just what every player has said, where everyone already knows what they are. And when they say I'm a player in the CWHL, that that means something to people without them having to then go on to explain what the CWHL is. And I guess the same thing, I'm sure, NWHL players have probably experienced the exact same thing. Of mm-hmm. I'm a player in the NWHL, oh, what's that? Like you said, even with that Canada-Sweden U18 YouTube chat, is people are interested and into it once they know it exists, but what you want is for people to already know it exists, for it to just be everywhere, um, to be as ubiquitous as the NHL is in places where men's hockey is popular. So... I would want to see that. I think that's a, you know, hypothetically realistic five-year goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think done in a way that supports the people who have been there the whole time, because I think it's important that the people who have put in the work over the past decades to create women's hockey, uh, women's professional hockey in ways that got it to where it is right now at the professional level need to not be left behind with, you know, some, uh, you know, takeover or modernization or investment of money that would just sort of drop them out of it where you've put in all this work and suddenly, you know, someone else can take over now. So seeing that growth and seeing the players benefit without seeing everyone who's gotten it this far dropped at the same time. Those are really good. Okay, so we only have two more questions up next. We're kind of wrapping it up. So second to last question is this. Can you share two of your spiciest women's hockey opinions? Oh, my gosh. Um, I I don't know. I feel like I'm sure I have some. And I don't necessarily <laughs> know what they are off the top of my head unprompted. Okay. Um, I think – I don't know that this is – necessarily inherently spicy but I think it could be spicy mm-hmm. in certain contexts it's just I I think a lot of the things with the blades have to do with lo- like local mismanagement I don't necessarily think that on a major extent the blades historically have been under-resourced uh, in the way that a lot of people seem to think they have I think that when I look at Montreal the league has never produced a thing that's in French you know there's mm. so much that has to happen at the team level for Montreal to be successful because it's in a bilingual market at best, but realistically, Quebec is a francophone market and nothing the league ever produces is in French. And so I think that's an example of a franchise that's been really successful, but there's so much work that goes in at the local level to make it successful. I think maybe people see Montreal's success and think Canada, yeah. but it feels really distant from Toronto here a lot of the time. And I think that's sort of the same case with Boston, except that Boston hasn't had the resources the support or the management that Montreal has had. So I guess that is maybe a little bit spicy because I think a lot of people like to take the blades and make it sort of a blame Canada thing. And like definitely there have there is a lot that has been lacking. And mm-hmm. I think the league could do or could have done a better job to support the blades in a lot of different ways. But I think some of it is a lot more localized as well. That definitely is a spicy opinion. Do I have to think of a second? Um, if you can't right now, that's okay. I know I kind of just dropped that on you. Well, our next question could have some spicy opinions, but not necessarily about women's hockey. That's true. Okay. <laughs> so we'll just go to the last question. Um, you definitely had some thoughts on the World Juniors goal songs. 
in a similar vein, what songs would you choose for the CWHL teams? Oh my gosh. Okay. We actually, <laughs> this was hilarious because I was at the Montreal uh, Toronto game today. And at after the game in the press box, we were actually talking about goal songs. Played Cascada very loud. Um, <laughs> that was just like the five of us who were left long after the game had ended, but topical. Right. We actually discussed this. I don't know that we came up with any answers. I floated Celine Dion and got yelled at. Oh, who would love it if Celine Dion was Montreal's goal? Right? <laughs> I found this video of her from, I think it's like from under 20. Hockey Canada was doing interviews and she was just like, oh, I love Celine Dion. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll see if I can dig it up again. I don't know. Yeah, so goal songs. I feel like I'm really bad at choosing goal songs and that it's also harder in women's hockey because a lot of the songs that are funny for world juniors are ironic because it's something that would be like embarrassing for a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily have that aspect in women's hockey. Like, I think we all hear Cascada and we love it, right? Right. Maybe in an ironic way. Definitely in an ironic way. But <laughs> no, that song slaps. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, everyone is suddenly 12 again. It's great. Or like 14 at a high school dance. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm just going to disappoint here. Well, if you can't think of any for the CHL, what would your own personal goal song would be? Like if you scored a goal and they played a song, what would your own song be? First of all, I wouldn't score a goal. <laughs> so we might have to go with whatever whoever graciously bounced that off of my stick wants because it's clearly all they're doing but I don't know I feel like I have to go with something newfie I was yes. reading the list of Carolina goal songs when that came out mm-hmm. and everyone was really excited about it's raining men but someone before that chose heave away and I was like it's my people I love that. My my family's from That's not what I would choose. Heave away is not what I would choose. Just for the record. <laughs> it's it's a good song. I don't think it's a goal song. Yeah, it's not. I'm not sure what is, but you know. <laughs> oh well. It's okay. We we took a solid twenty minute chunk out of our podcast that was just us trying to find out what songs we would pick. So you're all good. Oh, but at least I'm sure you guys came up with answers. <laughs> Eventually, I don't remember. I know that uh, I chose "Baby One More Time" by Britney Spears. Oh, that's I, cho- <laughs> I chose a very obscure um, Ontario song off the Letterkenny soundtrack. So, so again, thank you so much for being on our show. It means a lot. We really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Um, I think we covered a lot, including some surprises. I'm stuck here trying to think of what my goal song would be and I still don't know (laughs) can I sneak in one more question absolutely Um, alright so you've been covering women's hockey for like for a while so my question for you is what has been your like your favorite interview or your favorite story that you've covered oh that's I like that one a lot um I think my favorite interview would probably be, I don't know, I've done a lot of good ones. There are a lot of players who are just like, every time you talk to them, they have something really interesting to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did a phone interview, and it was actually my first ever phone interview um, with Emirates Mashmeyer last year. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but everyone who's ever spoken to her will tell you that, you know, she's a really great person to interview, and she... Um, you know, was able to talk really openly about what was a really difficult period in her career. And that was really interesting. And I liked the story that came out of that. Uh, the other thing I think was really interesting was I wrote a story on the UND players lawsuit this summer mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. against, against the school for cutting women's hockey. And I just had this moment after like spending three days yelling into the void about how I wish a reporter would ask the lawyer uh, questions about what they're actually doing here. I realized that I'm a person who can talk to the lawyer, that instead of yelling into the void, I can just do it, Mm -hmm. which was a weird realization to have and just 
funny calling a fancy law firm from my cell phone in Canada. They're like, is that a personal number? Is there an extension? That was that was a really interesting conversation too, because I'm a law student. And so being able to combine sort of these two things that I'm doing into something that was really pertinent and that hopefully was able to break down sort of how Title IX works a little bit more because I didn't know sort of all of these different aspects to it. You kind of just hear the one thing about Title IX means equal numbers, but actually learning how they can apply this and hopefully maybe get their team reinstated um, was really interesting. Yeah, I remember reading that and that was very, very good. I'm going to link that in the show notes because it's a must read for sure. And so I think that's going to do it for us today. Again, thank you so much. You are our very first guest. Yeah, we we want to usually include like for us the end of every show, like where people can find us on like on Twitter or wherever. So do you want to include your like social media handles or I don't know if you have a website or something you want to include? Yeah, where sure. can we find you? Yeah, so my Twitter is at KMTWhelan. Um a-M-T-W-H-E-L-A-N, because that's not necessarily uh, intuitive. And uh, I have an Instagram, but it's mostly just pictures of my cat. Sometimes hockey pops up, but it's really just mostly my cat. So if people want to find that, they can ask me on Twitter, but I may not put that in the show because it really is just mostly my cat. <laughs> he's great, but he's not particularly relevant i don't have a website but you can find my work for right now at victorypress.org which is obviously the victory press site we have a patreon patreon i don't know how to say that but give us money please if you would like to and are able because it's really cool and important that people actually have the opportunity to do this work and get compensated for doing it because there aren't a lot of opportunities in women's sports for that And that's patreon.com slash the victory press. Anyone wants to head over there, throw a few bucks their way. I'm pretty sure we promote the victory press like every time we record. Because it's (laughs) like, it's our favorite place for (laughs) women's sports news. 100%. We love it so much. You guys do such good work. Keep it up. And thank you again. And I hope you have a good night. Yeah, thank all of you. That came out weird. Thank you all. (laughs) (laughs) and i hope you all have great nights as well thank you thank you thanks thank you again to our very first guest kirsten whalen kirsten was so patient as we worked through the technical illnesses interview and we had a great time learning from her the links to our articles are in the show notes so be sure to check them out and thank you wonderful listener for listening if you want to help support the show tell someone about it share it on social media help us get the word out there so we can bring even more people into women's hockey. And you can really, really help us out by going to patreon.com slash unofficial radio and pledging to us for whatever you can. Even if it's only a dollar a month, it really does help. And for example, for $2 a month, you can get bloopers, bonus episodes, so much more. So please go on over again, patreon.com slash unofficial radio and check us out. And you can also find us on other social media at woho radio on Twitter and at unofficial radio on Tumblr. And you can find us the hosts on Twitter as well. You can find me, Alice, at Yola Woho. You can find Lauren at Spoon Nicholson, that's Spoon as in Spooner and Nicholson as in Nicholson. And Tay at Rivs underscore R underscore Rolling, that's R the letter and Rolling with no G. 